Welcome back to Primer, the podcast about all things Amazon. I'm your host, Alex Press, and this week I spoke with Lauren Kaori Gurley, a journalist at Vice's Motherboard, who's prolific on the labor beat in general, but on Amazon specifically. Before we get to that conversation, here's the usual spiel. I keep all the episodes of Primer free because I want anyone who's interested to be able to listen to them, but to compensate me for the project and to encourage me to spend more time on it, I have a Patreon. You can find that at patreon.com forward slash primer podcast. If you sign up, the episodes are all up there, but you'll also get show notes as well as video of some of our interviews. Of course, you will also get my gratitude. To the 78 people who have subscribed, thank you so much. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash primer podcast. I don't want to get into the week's Amazon news too much because there's always something going on. But I'll just say here that one thing of particular note is that on Tuesday, a federal judge dismissed Amazon's attempt to block New York Attorney General Tish James from investigating the company's labor practices during the pandemic. James had sued the company in February, specifically citing its treatment of workers in a Staten Island facility, previous guest of Primer, Chris Smalls is named in the suit, and in Queens facilities as well. Amazon's argument is, in part, that federal health and labor laws override James's oversight. U.S. District Judge Brian Kogan in Brooklyn wrote, The state has a legitimate interest in ensuring that employers are complying with state labor laws, are enforcing important health safety measures, and are sanctioned for illegal conduct that occurs within the state. So, that investigation is moving forward. Okay, now to the meat of this week's episode. As I mentioned, Lauren is a labor reporter at Vice's motherboard site. She writes about a lot of companies, but she gets scoop after scoop about Amazon and its sprawling workforce, from warehouse workers to the third-party contracted-out delivery drivers. I asked her about a few recent stories in our conversation, so I won't list those here. But just to say, Lauren's really indispensable when it comes to finding out what's happening inside Amazon. And she finds that information out by speaking to the workers themselves, which not nearly enough reporters do. So without further ado, here's Lauren. Lauren, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, so you write a lot about Amazon, not only Amazon, but as a labor reporter, Amazon comes up all the time for me and for you as well. Um, And one of your most recent stories I wanted to talk to you about is a finding about someone that we've had on the show before, Christian Smalls. Um, He's part of this independent union effort at JFK in Staten Island. And you recently broke that the NLRB had found merit in a complaint that one of his former co-workers filed recently about Amazon getting in the way of them organizing this union. So can you tell us a little bit about that story? Yeah, so uh, they, I don't know for your listeners who've probably been following, uh, when the Bessemer election ended, uh, workers in Staten Island started organizing an independent union not affiliated with any other major union. And um, immediately Amazon responds by sort of beginning a very similar anti-union campaign to the one that they were holding and Bessemer, like the same, you know, flyers and bathroom stalls, the same daily text messages, the same like monitor screens across the warehouse warning people about like, don't talk to Amazon work people who are, you know, in these vests who are part of Amazon labor union, it has nothing to do with us. There was a worker who um, is 25, his name is Connor Spence. He uh, started during his break breaks would would distribute like, um, pro-union literature, so basically just explaining what Amazon Labor Union was doing in the break rooms, and he would also, like, w- would sort of leave out um, 
copies of an NLRB charge that Amazon had to post in its Queen warehouse where it already got in trouble. Um, and he was being careful to follow like social distancing guidelines. Anyway, uh, a security card, a guard comes in one day in May, tells him he can't do that. He can't, he, he can't, you know, distribute those, those flyers. And also the guy confiscates them. Um, and, 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 uh, Connor tells me that he asked for them back and the guy was like, no, um, <laughs> Uh, uh, simultaneously, this group, Amazon Labor Union, has been holding these very public barbecues outside JFK 8, which is Staten Island warehouse. Actually, there are now four warehouses there, which I didn't realize till recently. But um, and they've drawn like, you know, tons of workers are showing up, I think, like 200 workers, maybe once a week during these barbecues sort of come in and out. They're signing union cards, you know, unlike a lot of union campaigns when you're, you're in the card check process, which is very uh, sort of secretive. This is like a, a full display. Um, lots of people are showing up, but people are very into it. And uh, they they see a woman in a security vest come up and take a photo of them, um, which is illegal um, because, you know, under the National Labor Relations Act, you can't interfere or create surveil or create the, the impression of surveillance of uh, you know, of your of your workers if they're organizing. And so workers filed these two charges and actually three. So surveillance, impression of surveillance, confiscating the literature. Um, and they got a finding of merit. So a, an NLRB investigator came to the conclusion that there was sufficient evidence that she thinks this did, this did happen. And so now they're going to issue a complaint um, and what that means is Amazon will have the opportunity to settle. Um, and if they don't settle, they'll go before a judge. But like all of this is all to say that like, this is actually not going to be a big deal for Amazon. Like there are very little penalties for doing stuff like this, like just a slap on the wrist basically. Um, Amazon gets away with doing stuff like this all the time, no financial penalty. Right. I mean, this came the same week as the NLRB hearing officers report about Bessemer, which we talked about on the last episode. And there's no financial penalties, right? Like the worst that happens is in this case in Staten Island, Amazon basically has to post a notice saying we won't break the law anymore. Right. Yeah. I think if the PRO Act passes, they would have to pay up to $50,000 per charge and like hundreds, $100,000 as a repeat offender. But even that probably wouldn't discourage them. It's just sort of part of doing business for them, I think, at, at this point. Right. Though Amazon has so much money that that's like a drop in the bucket compared to keeping workers apart. <laughs> right. And I want to ask one more thing about this, which is Christian recently said that they have uh, they hit a milestone with cards and they're holding a rally. So what is the progress of that union since we've talked to him a few weeks ago? Yeah. So I guess they hit a thousand cards. Um, and uh, they have 5,000 workers at JFK. I don't know the numbers on all the other facilities, but you know, that's, that's a lot of people, um, signing cards. Apparently they have also like a giant worker committee. I know a couple of workers on it. Um, but you know, I think because it's so public and you know, it's a Staten Island, it's actually just like literally like, I don't know, it's like less than a mile away from New Jersey. It's just like right across the, the river from New Jersey. Um, a lot of the workers live in New Jersey. It's a very union dense area, right? So um, people are, it's not like, it's not like Bessemer. I mean, Bessemer was also a union town in some ways, but I think uh, people are very into the union. It's very public. 
like everyone knows who Chris Mullis is. There's like a lot of it, it's it's very different than um, the the situation in in Alabama for that reason. Um, so uh, they say they're on track to file a petition for an election in the next few months. Um, we'll see. Yeah. Um, and speaking of various union efforts at Amazon, another story you broke was about the Teamsters voting on a resolution to seriously commit to organizing Amazon workers. So why don't you just talk about that? I mean, I've I've briefly sort of gone over in large part your reporting on this on the show before, but from where you sit, like, what do you make of the Teamsters resolution to organize Amazon and, and what are the details of it that you've seen? Right. So this, just like what we were just talking about, the Staten Island thing is sort of came out in the aftermath of Bessemer. And it is a very different sort of approach. This is one of the largest unions in the United States. They have 1.4 million members and they are basically pledging um, something called the earth pledging to vowing basically to unionize Amazon. Um, they're making it they, they, they wrote a resolution that was voted on at their convention in uh, June, um, basically to say, like, our top priority going forward, they have a convention every five years, is the, 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 the new agenda is going to be unionizing Amazon. We are, devote, we are devoting, like, tremendous resources to this. They wouldn't tell me exactly how much. Um, and we've been working on this basically since our last convention. So we've been working on this for years secretly, um, you know, we've been talking to workers all over the place, but we're not going to really say wh- where that's going on. Um, and, and you know, instead of doing the the route of a um, NLRB election where you have a warehouse and you have to sign the cards and then you have to petition for an election and then the NLRB has to grant you the election, this is, this is a different approach. It's, um, you know, they are planning to, I guess the idea is to sort of, um, raise so much pressure um, through community sort of actions, strikes, boycotts, walkouts, petitions um, to pressure Amazon to the bargaining table. And they sort of look at their history as a union. I should mention they are a logistics union, so they very much overlap with the same industries that um, Amazon works in. So like warehousing, freight, food processing or distribution, package delivery is a huge one. Um, so they, they know this industry very well. Um, back in the 20th century, before that, uh, early 20th century, before the National Labor Relations Act was passed, um, you know, workers couldn't vote to form unions. And so they're sort of going back to that approach where, you know, they had to do sort of like pressure campaigns, um, actions in the streets. Um, sort of organizing like across different sectors. And so and so that's that's the approach they're taking. Um, and, you know, they, they said they're not against doing elections. They just they said, well, when we saw Bessemer, we had already decided like we, we could have done what happened in Bessemer, but we we like strategically thought that was probably not the best route. Um, so that's very different from what's going on in Staten Island. Right. And what do you make of this? I mean, from where you sit, what's your perspective? I know you're a reporter. You have no opinions. Um, but, you know, <laughs> if you can venture some, what do you make of this? I mean, organizing Amazon is there is going to be very difficult no matter what. Or getting union at Amazon. I think both of these strategies have their shortcomings. So um, I think one thing that comes up a lot for people in the uh, case of the Staten Island union drive is that these people, th- this 
um, union, these union organizers are not, you know, associating with any major national union. They don't have the resources of a major national union. They're not working with, you know, professional union organizers. And, um, and so, you know, I, I think that without those resources and without that expertise, um, you know, I, I'm worried that, um, or I could, I could see a situation in which, you know, Amazon runs a really strong union busting a campaign again, and I'm sure they will. And, you know, there isn't sort of the, the, the experience of having handled that before and knowing how to handle that. Um, and then, you know, once you organize the union and if they succeed, trying to bargain with Amazon without the protection and the support of a big national union, I could see that being extremely difficult as well. Um, because, you know, just because you want a union election doesn't mean like Amazon's going to bargain with you and sit down. They could try to decertify you or do a million different other things. Um, in terms of the Teamsters, I think the thing people are like, generally the sense I get is that people are very excited about this strategy. Um, the question is like, how do you measure success sort of maybe like it might like it, it, it in a certain way, like having strikes or doing sort of like big media um, friendly, like events that get like lots of coverage um, might look good. But if you're not like winning warehouse by warehouse, like how do you how do you sort of judge success? And I think like that might be that might be hard to see, like what I guess what they can actually do. Um, ideally, I think what they're they're imagining they can do is like they are so embedded in all these industries that that they're studying Amazon sort of logistics chain that they're looking for strategic choke points where if they coordinated strikes, like they could sort of bring Amazon to its knees. I think that's, that's the, the ultimate goal. Right. The thing about the Teamsters is it reminds you that like, even though Amazon is this sort of newfangled tech company and stuff, it's actually just about guys and trucks. <laughs> and if they stop driving the trucks, then Amazon <laughs> right. stops making right. it. Right. So it does seem like, I mean, I've spoken to a few rank and file Teamsters who seem very sort of, cautiously optimistic about this they're going through the trainings which is a big part of the resources is the teamsters are sort of trying to get people ready to organize workers in their communities right yeah so i think another aspect of it is that it's sort of based on the premise that teamsters are already part of the same communities that amazon warehouse workers and delivery drivers are so it might be your friend or your uncle or your cousin or your nephew or your I don't know, whoever. Um, and so that like those relationships are already like almost there. And so they they want to like, you know, really take advantage of that. Um, I think also it's like their members are already their members' working conditions are being deteriorated by Amazon and they have seen sort of their quotas, their schedules, their, you know, they have to work on holidays, they have to work on weekends now. And Amazon is driving down wages in their industry because like these workers are also delivering Amazon UPS drivers, for example, are also delivering Amazon packages and they are Teamsters members. And so, um, you know, part of this education is, you know, really like showing them that Amazon is, you know, contributing negatively to their working conditions and, you know, they have a vested interest in, in unionizing Amazon. Right. In this first article, when you sort of broke that they were voting on this resolution, you quote this UPS driver who says, I do volunteer organizing because I feel Amazon workers should have what I have. And you lay out that he makes almost $40 an hour, plus has pension and health care. And then you say, as a point of comparison, Amazon delivery drivers in Southern California earn 15 or $16 an hour, which is a huge difference. 
yeah, I mean, Amazon is driving down wages for sure in, in these industries. And um, Amazon loves to tout that it pays $15 an hour, but uh, this is this is only good when you compare Amazon to McDonald's, I think. <laughs> um, not when you compare Amazon to uh, actually the same industries, especially when union jobs in the same industries. Right. I guess my last question about this is, so in the in what I was just quoting, we're talking about delivery drivers and UPS drivers who are not actually, you know, Amazon's delivery drivers are not Amazon employees. So when the Teamsters say they're going to organize Amazon, like, are they talking about the warehouses? Are they talking about the delivery drivers or both? Do you have a sense of what we actually mean by organizing Amazon workers? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, So definitely delivery drivers. Um, They are definitely organizing delivery drivers in Iowa. and uh, one local in Iowa, I think it was Iowa City, a couple of, of delivery stations, which is where Amazon um, delivery drivers work out of. And um, there has also been a lot of organizing going on in the Inland Empire in Southern California. Um, the the leader of this project, Amazon, this guy, Randy Corgan, he's Amazon's, or he's the Teamsters, like Amazon director, is that his title? He's from this local in in Southern California, and he developed this whole strategy on sort of a local level there, though, like volunteer organizer trainings um, that's being implemented across the country. Um, In terms of warehouses, yeah, I think they're also very into into organizing warehouse workers. Um, So I think both things, um, they're, 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 at least how they explained it to me, it was like, if workers approach us and they want us to help them unionize, like does it like doesn't matter who they are, like we'll help them. If if we see like a strategic point for us to like you know go in and, and start making connections with people, we'll also do that. That really sounds good. Um, so that's exciting. And and one thing we haven't really talked too much on the show. I'm sure we'll do an episode about it specifically. But is that it's the delivery drivers in general for Amazon. And I know you talk to people who it's they're sort of third party contracted, right? They might even be driving Amazon vans. They might be sort of governed by Amazon's rules down to their fingernail length, <laughs> as one report put it. Um, but they're not direct employees. So can you tell people, since we haven't talked about it much, like what did drivers say to you about what their jobs are like? You know, what are the complaints? What are the conditions that they're working under? Yeah, so I would actually um, argue that these jobs are a lot more precarious than your Amazon warehouse job where people are actually employees. Um, you work for one of like, I believe 800 contractors in the US now. These companies are tiny companies. So they maybe have like 20 to 40 employees. Um, you, uh, you know, you make wages that Amazon sets and Amazon basically controls every aspect of your working conditions. Like you said, like down to like your hairstyle, your fingernails, your cleanliness, like your, you, you wear an Amazon t-shirt and you, or vest and Amazon like baseball cap and you drive the Amazon van a lot of the times. Um, but, uh, you, um, these companies, these tiny companies, they're called delivery service partners, are under such financial strain from Amazon because they make their revenue um, by like how many packages they get people to deliver. And so the, the quotas are always going up. Amazon is always lowering the amount that they're giving delivery companies in return, or they're not paying like the market rate for like 
what a delivery driver makes in a certain area, they're paying like $2 less. And so these companies are like such a pinch that obviously what happens is they end up um, putting that pressure onto drivers in terms of, you know, denying them break times, um, not giving them opportunities, the bathroom, firing them for, you know, working too slowly. The quotas are ridiculous. Um, uh, you know, people, I think the delivery drivers I talk to are so extremely isolated because you're spending 10 hours a day in a van um, by yourself. So you don't really have like a lot of connection with other people or time to organize. It is an ex extremely exhausting job. Um, there are, I mean, there's like lots of opportunity for, um, you know, accidents. It's like super high liability. That's part of the reason why Amazon does not want to, you know, run this part of their operations themselves. Um, and yeah, I think the main thing that I, I hear is sort of like, um, people are just really, really, really like run down. And a lot of them are young, like maybe 20, early twenties, um, not not the age you'd imagine having like serious like i don't know physical response to a to a job um right and you wrote something i think um early july that was about delivery companies in portland actually sort of threatening to stop working for amazon in some capacity because they said the margins were too tight and the quotas were too high what exactly was going on were these dsps as well that were saying that it's an unworkable model yeah, so they actually shut down. It was the first instance I've ever heard of this happening in the country. Uh, these these two Portland uh, contractors, delivery service partners that are working out of an Amazon warehouse, um, they employ drivers are just saying like, this has become too dangerous. We're making no money. Or in fact, we're losing money. Um, we're you know we're be being forced to put uh, push our drivers into like unsafe working conditions that we're, we're just down and we're suing. Um, the lawyer for these two companies called me and I, I mean, I talked to him and, and he was like, you know, the day after we did this, I got calls from delivery service partners, these contractors all over the country saying, yeah, can you help me shut down too? Uh, I'm like going through the exact same thing. Uh, so I think there's going to hopefully, I mean, I, I would like to cover more of this. Um, I think these companies are really afraid of speaking out unless they're like actually about to shut down because Amazon is very retaliatory and sort of picks favorites among among these companies, the best performing ones. So this is I mean, this is, I think, interesting because it means, you know, people ask, how does Amazon actually get two day delivery to work? And it seems like it actually is relying on a model that is fully not even workable for the businesses it's relying on to carry that out. Right. And it keeps them small too, right? Like it's terrified of, I mean, I think this is sort of a little bit of speculation, but when these companies get big, there was, a, there was a time it was called like the 1.0 era when like some of them got pretty big and Amazon broke them up. So like Amazon wants, like doesn't want them to get too big partially. It wants to keep them sort of separate so that people don't organize a thing is sort of, the, the goal and also just so it can continue to like control them instead of having like another monopoly like build up within I don't know the 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 delivery service partner network um so it's very interesting yeah I mean it certainly reads to me as just like anti-union stuff you don't want more than a handful of workers at any company otherwise they might actually talk to each other <laughs> and get together which just makes the Teamsters project even more interesting because it's like how do you organize 
800 tiny delivery companies. Um, you don't go one by one. <laughs> right. I mean, that was part of what I was asking is like, how do you do that? And also even legally, right? They can't, I mean, this is part of it. Certainly in the past, when I've talked to people who, for example, were organizing unions as like security guards for Facebook, you know, their big demand was like, we just want to be able to bargain with Facebook, but we can't because they're not our employer. And meanwhile, our employer can sit, can turn around and say like, well, we have no money. It's up to Facebook. And so it is a built-in wall against having any sense of liability or obligation to the workers. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, I don't know what the strategy is on that, but but <laughs> we shall see. The last story I wanted to ask you about was, it, in part, it's because of the day that you published it. Um, so a couple weeks ago, you know, Bezos went to space. I scare quotes around this. It wasn't really <laughs> space. But um, on that same day, you published an article about Patty Hernandez, who um, is a 23-year-old Amazon warehouse worker in Tracy, California, who miscarried after asking her manager and HR at Amazon to give her lighter duty because she was pregnant. So I just, can you tell people a little bit about what happened and how, you know, is this legal? How is Amazon sort of treating people who are pregnant? Yeah, so this isn't the first time I've heard of um, women uh, who are pregnant having extreme difficulty getting accommodations. Um, But the case of Patty, uh, she was a packer, uh, like you mentioned, and Tracy, Um, she she got pregnant. And I think immediately, she was like five weeks pregnant, she told her manager, hey, could I, um, could you, I mean, she's she's doing like pretty heavy lifting, lifting like 50, 15 to 50 pound um, totes off conveyor belts, um, which you know, I think isn't necessarily a, a, a situation which all workers would get accommodations, but her doctor gave her a note. Her manager said, no, you got to talk to HR. HR. She tells HR, our HR is like, why do you need accommodations? Like totally uh, not responsive. And then after she waits, she continues to work. And after she waits for a while, they end up just being like, no, we don't have a position for you. There's nothing you can do here. This is like a huge warehouse where there's like a social distancing team, which just like, you know, goes around and tells people to keep apart and put on their masks and stuff like this. So, so they're definitely probably, I mean, was a role for her at this warehouse, but um, instead they say no, and she ends up miscarrying um, and she, she just quits and leaves. Um, But yeah, pretty, pretty upsetting and tragic situation. Um, And I think, you know, it is perfectly legal what happened actually, because employers of this size, you know, you, you only have to provide accommodations for pregnant workers if you have provided similar accommodations for workers with other disabilities. So in this case, this was legal. It shouldn't be legal. Um, And, you know, I think I I talked to a number of workers at a warehouse in Oklahoma where a similar thing was happening, where they were just, you know, literally one woman was evicted two times, but she had been waiting for months to get accommodations. And I'm not really sure what the problem is. I think it's like HR is like, in most of the cases I've talked to workers, like their HR system is like, really messy, um, not like streamlined or like um, sort of, it just feels like arbitrary. Like sometimes workers get accommodations, sometimes they don't when they're pregnant. So as we've now clearly demonstrated, you're writing about all parts of Amazon's company as far as the working conditions. And, you know, you've been doing that for a while and you're very prolific. I mean, I constantly am citing your reporting on the show and in my own writing. Um, And so I'm just curious, like, if you take a step back, where 
you know, what do you think about Amazon and where do you think it's going as far as it's particularly as far as how it treats its workers going forward? Gosh, I don't, I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I feel like I need to take, take a step back. I don't really do that very often um, just because I'm so like embedded in like random, very specific parts of things. But um, so I started covering Amazon in August of 2019. At that point, it was a lot smaller company. Um, and at that point, um, you know, there were like little pockets of workers organizing, like there would be like an occasional walkout in Minnesota or in Sacramento. And the response to those like little walkouts or petitions was like massive. Like if that happened, like all of Twitter would like go crazy because it had never happened before. Um, Still, like the main sort of feeling I got when I was like looking, I mean, I do most of my reporting by like going through workers Facebook group, like private Facebook groups for Amazon delivery drivers or Amazon warehouse workers, Reddit forums, um, you know, sort of trying to figure out what people are saying on the ground. Um, And I think the general situation back then was like sort of fear, desperation, no organizing, really, like no one really even talking about it that much. Um, when the pandemic hit, that totally changed. Um, and, you know, all of a sudden it felt like there were like walkouts like every day in like April or March and April and May. Um, lots of people were organizing. Everyone was willing to go on the record with me with, with their name, which never happened. Um, and before it was really hard to get people to talk. Um, so the pandemic really like propelled something. And then, you know, obviously then there was Bessemer, which was the first union election in the history of Amazon at a warehouse in the US. Um, So it sort of like culminated with that, which was like a huge, I mean, it was like a huge national news story, even though they lost. And I think a lot of people were expecting another outcome. Um, So I think we're now at a stage where we have all these like, like bigger things going on, like the Teamsters thing. Um, There are, you know, not just this group in Staten Island, but there are groups all over the country that are sort of um, small and independent and thinking about organizing or actually organizing. So I, I sort of, you know, in terms of the organizing piece, I think things are like way different than when I started just two years ago. Like there is so much more going on. Um, I guess that that's my main sort of feeling. Like I, I expect to see a lot more. Like I don't know what the Teamsters are planning, but I'm sure they're going to be planning a lot of different things uh, in terms of, you know, work stoppages, strikes. Like I don't know how big these work stoppages will get, but I think we're headed in um, sort of a direction of seeing more and more of that. Lauren, is there anything else that you would want people to know about Amazon or your work and what people are dealing with at the company? I guess one thing I've been thinking a lot about recently is, which is totally random, I just have been thinking about it a lot, is um, like the housing insecurity piece. Maybe, I don't know if you've talked about it at all, but, um, you know, there are a lot of homeless Amazon warehouse workers, in, in especially in like expensive cities um, like New York. Um, I have heard rumors and I have not confirmed them that there are, you know, a hundred homeless Amazon warehouse workers at Staten Island. Um, people sleep in the parking lots there. Um, it's like this this just sort of crazy world that we live in where, um, you know, this company is saying that it pays workers really well, but they they can't afford housing in, in cities. And then, you know, on the flip side, I think um, even in uh, 
even in Bessemer or Alabama, like people were struggling to pay rent as well. Um, so yeah, I, I, I guess <laughs> it's obvious, but, um, I would, uh, yeah, I think that the 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 idea that Amazon is going to bring something good to a community is something that a lot of people, a lot of workers I've talked to, especially in Alabama, are like generally felt and then felt let down by. Um, so, yeah. Uh, but beyond that, uh, I'm sure there are other things, but that that's it for the moment. That's that is totally okay. I think I've kept you long enough. Um, so I just want to thank you so much for coming on to talk to us. Um, I, like I've said, um, Lauren is a prolific reporter and you can find her at Vice's motherboard. Um, Lauren, carry on with the reporting. It's been great talking to you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks as ever to my producer, Sarah Hurd, to Jacobin, to Lauren for coming on the show, and to Nate Roos for the music. Talk to you all next week. Bye.